Right, the first picture that I was going to show you, you see, it keeps changing here, which makes you think something's trying to get up there. Right, let me, let me tell you what's, what you're not seeing. Uh, I, did, uh, in our lives, especially when the children were younger, we, okay. talking about. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, we used to have the dreaded family meeting. Did you ever have the family meeting at home when the children were young or maybe when you were young? Uh, and the dreaded family meeting usually meant after dinner at tea time when everybody was sitting around the table, we would say, okay, no, nobody get up. You know, the children would want to be rushing off to wash the dishes. Uh, and those sorts of things. Uh, and bring Janice and I a cup of tea while we watch the news. Um, but you used to say, okay, no, nobody moved from the table. Uh, family meeting. And, uh, oh, it could either be filled with joy or filled with dread, couldn't it? The family meeting. One of the best family meetings we ever had was when uh, we had to tell our children that Uncle Stephen and Auntie Karen had decided to take us to Disney in Florida for a fortnight and they were paying for everything, yeah. That was a good family meeting, it has to be said. There was much joy and no shortage of people wanting to join in with the dishes that night. Uh, one of the worst family meetings was um, uh, Daddy's moving to a different church. So we're all going to be moving house. And two out of three of you are going to be moving schools. Yeah, Awful meetings, some of those meetings ending in tears and anger and frustration and all that. So what, so what I'd like us to do today is we're going to have a family meeting, okay, uh, rather than a sermon. This today is a family meeting because I need to talk to you about something that affects us as a family, and it's our finance. It's the money uh, that makes this whole thing run. And in case anybody's confused about all of that, we aren't a branch of the social services, nor of the government, nor of anything else. Uh, there is nothing comes into this place except through us. Uh, and obviously some gifts or grants every now and again from other places. But uh, there, isn't a, there isn't a big, there isn't a great big um, government-sponsored uh, tax scheme out there that pays for churches. We, we exist on ourselves. Uh, so that's our, our family meeting uh, this morning is going to be about that. Uh, and I wanted to uh, set this in the context of the exile that we've been talking about. Now, the, the idea of an exile is, is it's a metaphor. And I had a, a wee uh, illustration there of, you know, one of the most famous verses in the Bible is, um, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We all know that verse. And it's a metaphor. And it's a verse that we all have used, that we all have heard, that we all share with each other, that we all cling to. And it always happens at times in our lives when either there's been a bereavement or we're going through a particularly difficult time. And the idea of going through this dark valley is that's the metaphor bit of it. None of us actually walks down a dark valley. But you know what it feels like, where the sun can't get in, it's dark, it's damp, it's perhaps even a bit dangerous, a bit frightening. 
So that's, that's the metaphor bit of it. And therefore, we translate that in our heads and in our hearts into what, what that means for us and how that helps. So the, the metaphor of the exile, because we aren't actually living in exile, right? We, we aren't a whole crowd of refugees here. Not physically or socioeconomically or ethnically or any of those things. But that the images of the exile that the Jews had, that the Israelites had to live in, some of the images and ideas of that actually fit very well with what our part of the world is like at the minute and how it affects our lives. And therefore, looking at the exiles to see how those Israelites living in exile responded to it and lived in it and found faith in it and developed their life together in it, there are lessons in there that could be very helpful for us. Now, uh, if you go to um, Jeremiah 28 and 29, we have uh, read these words before, for I know the plans I have. Sorry, um, Paul, I can do without a fire. Well, we just, yeah, what? <gasps> There's the. <laughs> That's a very beautiful family meeting, isn't it? Right? You see the, the flip chart or whatever it is with the chores and the, yeah, all that. Ours weren't like that at all. Uh, okay. Right. And there's the. It's a metaphor. The valley. So the exile is also, and one of, the, one of the things about the exile that I think fits very well with how church is and how society is these days is that the Israelites were scattered, right, far and wide. Now they were scattered across a couple of thousand miles. But everything about our lives these days is much more scattered than it used to be. Um, so if I, like I grew up, if I stood on the top of the Moulton Dundonald, I could see the house I grew up in, I could see the primary school I went to, the park I played in, the bit of grass we played football on, the ward where our children were born, uh, the church that I went to, the youth club that I went to, you could see it all. It's all there. You stand on top of the moat in Dundonald. Even my first job, I could see the school I taught in. Um, but our lives are... Other than that, these days, we're scattered. So we quick, um, we, we quick put your hand up. Put your hand up if you came to church this morning in the car. <gasps> okay. And of course you did. Um, I didn't. Because I knew I was going to ask that, I came on my bike. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, for some of you, and I'm not looking at uh, the Scots at all, uh, it must take longer to get into the car than it takes to get here. <laughs> okay. But anyway, we, we travelled here. Another hand up for this one. How many of you drove past another church to get here? Right, not quite so many, but most of us. Um, and a slightly more complicated question. How many went, came past another Church of Ireland church to get here? Right, a bit fewer. But, uh, but that sense of scattered. Um, the, the friends that you had in P7, when you move on to post-primary, they scatter all over the city. And our lives are like that. Uh, we shop way over there. We go to school way over there. We go to work way over there. We go to church way over there. Our, there's a scatteredness about how we live these days. Um, so, the thing about living in a, in, a, in a church, and rather than use the word scattered to describe us as a congregation, um, I'll use a slightly more positive word. It's the word gathered. 
So, and it's because we come from all sorts of places and we gather here. But for some of us, it takes quite a bit of effort to actually get here to be part of this. And a gathered church is very different uh, in how it operates or how it needs to think about itself than a church that is entirely local. Um, so um, I don't even know where one of these would exist anymore, where everybody that goes to it can walk to it. Uh, it's hard to imagine that, that existing anywhere at all. So churches, we have, we have moved into another, another way of existing, this gathered nature, where in actual fact people belong to a church uh, because there are many choices out there. There are many styles, there are many sizes, there are many types, many denominations, many different ways of dressing to go there, different ways of being there when you are there. Uh, and we make choices because that's part of the nature of the scattered and gathered thing, is that we're free to make choices. And that's what happens to us. Now, if, if, so we're coming to some choices. That's really where we're going with this. And I don't want to, I did not put any images of this up on the screen because they're too horrific uh, for us. Are they, the images of people being scattered out of Ukraine. Yeah. And scattered to other parts of Ukraine, scattered to the countries around Ukraine, and scattered even further away than that. And, the choices that they then have to make about their future and about what it's going to be like to live in the new place and who isn't going to be there with them uh, as they make those choices. So let me jump from that uh, straight through to our finance here because we'll come back to that in a wee minute. So in the, we're only looking at three years of finance as a family here. Uh, so that big circle represents the money that we spent during the first year of COVID. Yeah. And that slightly darker circle represents the money that came in. Do you see the way one says out and the other one says in? Yeah. So there's a wee gap. We're not bringing in enough, even in the first year of COVID, to pay for everything. Fortunately, we have money in reserve. Uh, and every now and again, there were grants thrown in. There were grants for the food ministry and other things that helped. So we, we didn't really uh, suffer as a result of this not coming in. And none of these circles are drawn to scale, by the way. So don't, um, don't go measuring it or anything to see what the percentages were. It's not like, it's just an image. So there we go back to, that's what went out now in the first year. So here's another circle to show you uh, what happened in the second year of COVID, right? The cost, the spending, the expenditure, the running of our programs, uh, paying for our staff, everything went up a little bit. And if we had brought in the same amount as year one in COVID, it would have been that. But second year of COVID, it shrunk another bit. Yeah. So the gap between the outside circle and the inside circle grew a bit the gap between what we're bringing in and what we're taking, spending. So, uh, back to, there was year two. Year three, and this is the year we're in at the minute, 2022. Uh, our budget for this year, um, to do all the things that we would like to do and hope to do, uh, to grow our ministry and mission out into our world around us, um, like any business or any other charity, it's growing. The demands are growing. The dreams are growing. The, the vision for what we'd like to do is growing. Now, this is in the first three or four months for this year. That was the, the last year. 
Uh, now I'm pleased to say, and we're all very pleased to say, it has grown. The amount of money coming in this year, in the first four months or so, has actually grown again. And it's grown to, I said these aren't exact, but it's showing you the direction. It's grown to just a wee bit more than it was in the first year of COVID. So do you notice it's, if we were living on a budget of the first year of COVID, we're nearly there this year. But unfortunately we had a year two and we're now in year three. And therefore, even though it has, it has grown this year, it hasn't grown back anywhere near uh, to what will cover the expenditure for this year. Now, in case you're wondering, here's a, a picture, and this is drawn, drawn accurately. I didn't make this graphic, uh, but that's a pie chart of what we spend our money on, what the budget for this year will be spent on. And you probably can't read it all, so let me tell you, the big, the big section on the right, the light blue one, is 60% of our expenditure is spent on our salaries and uh, running our staff team uh, to make all that work. Uh, up at the top, the green section is, oh, just as other, yeah, things we haven't thought about, ice cream vans. I suppose. Uh, the, the sort of dark blue one uh, over to the left is 15%. We would like to do some work this year on our buildings, uh, some refurbishment work, uh, renewing things, making sure everything uh, is working the way it should, and that includes technology. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and the world we're living in. And technology is going to be a growth in any church uh, in the next few years as we begin to realize our gathered, scattered nature. Ministry and mission is that 10% grey one over to the right. The orange one is we, we all have to pay a levy to the diocese. Uh, and then 5%, uh, that smaller one down the bottom, is our utilities, paying our bills and our insurance, those sorts of things. Now, if you want this in real life numbers, we need about a thousand pounds a week more. At the minute, we bring in about 3,700 a week. Uh, we're about a thousand short per week, or about four and a half thousand a month, if that's an easier way for you to think. We bring in about fifteen thousand a month. Uh, it would be far better if we were over nineteen thousand a month, heading towards twenty, and that would pay for everything that we dream of doing this year. So you're probably thinking, well, don't do it all. Well, the simple truth is, we won't do it all because we're not about to go into minus or into debt. So we won't do it all if that happens. But um, that would be terribly sad to not do all that we had planned for and hoped to cover in our budget. So how does, uh, in case you're wondering, how does money come into this family? Comes in three ways. Comes in in direct debits, so straight out of your bank. Uh, you set that up yourself, or we can set it up for you if that's what needs to happen. Or it comes in through the envelopes that people have. Uh, direct debits far outweighs our envelopes these days. Uh, and then the third one is gift aid, and that is if you're a taxpayer and you sign a form for us, we can claim all your tax back. And not all your tax, sorry, the tax on the, on the money you give to us into this, into this family. Uh, so those are the three ways it comes in. And so we're not talking here, uh, we need to emphasize this, as a family, we're not talking here about uh, one-off gifts, and there have been very generous gifts at times. We're not talking about uh, applying for funding for a project, which we will go on doing. Um, we're talking about just the, the bog-standard income that makes everything work, like in your house or my house. What's the income that comes in every month? that is regular and that you can plan your holidays or your Christmas presents or your dinner 
on the basis of what comes in. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about hoping to get a you know, a surprise tax rebate or, or you sell something in Gumtree and you make a wee bit of money. It's not that. This is the bog standard income and expenditure of the church. So there's three things that I think we all, that apply to all of us, or some of them apply. Yeah, anyway, there they are. Each of us needs to review our giving. And uh, it's this a wee bit, and could I just assure you that I have no idea, i never look, and would have told Chris, our treasurer, never to let me look uh, at who gives what. So I have absolutely no idea uh, who gives, and who doesn't give, or how much anybody gives, and I'm not about to start finding out, right? That's entirely between you and the treasurer and uh, the accountant. Uh, Jennifer as well, who has to put it all into the computer. But anecdotally, our treasurer, and I don't want to put Chris on the spot here, would say that the vast majority of us, vast majority of us have not reviewed our giving in a long time. And hand up. I started giving when I came to this parish and I haven't changed it. Okay, that's five years now. So review your giving. Uh, secondly, some of us need to think about increasing our giving. Maybe all of us need to think about increasing our giving. And during COVID, during the last two and a half years, we've had a number of people who have joined us. And could I say politely, you need to start giving. Yeah? Because we're in this together. Yeah? You can, of course, sorry, you can, of course, stop your giving or reduce it if your life circumstances change or whatever. That, that's all perfectly normal uh, in the life of how we support anything that, that, we, that we're part of. So are those three things okay? Reviewing your giving, increasing your giving, and maybe starting giving. And uh, especially if you've been here a long time and never ever thought about it, um, maybe it's time to get started. Now, this is one of two. We'll be doing a wee bit more next week on how you do those things. Uh, I just wanted to set the scene. This is the, the start of the family meeting, so you can hear the children groaning. We're going to do this again tomorrow night. Uh, Maybe they're thinking that's when they're going to be told about the holiday. (laughs) So let me take you to uh, how this applies in the life of exile. In Jeremiah 28, we're we're told Jeremiah is the writer of that great big Old Testament book of prophecy uh, called Jeremiah. But in Jeremiah 28, we're introduced to another prophet, Hananiah. And the prophet Hananiah said, within two years, I will bring back to this place all the other exiles. They're in Jerusalem. Hananiah and Jeremiah are in Jerusalem, sending letters and people out with messages to the exiles. And so Hananiah's message is, within two years, I will bring back to this place all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So Hananiah has sent out this message to the exiles spread across many nations. That, and he, he, he states it as God declares, the Lord declares, within two years I will bring you all back to this place, as back to Jerusalem, back to Judah. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now that's good news if you're out in Babylon somewhere. Two years and we're all going back. But Jeremiah sends a letter out. The Lord Almighty says, Do not let the prophets among you deceive you. I have not sent them. 
And Jeremiah goes on to say, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So if you're living as an exile from Israel, somewhere in the countryside of Iraq, uh, working on somebody's farm, uh, trying to make ends meet, uh, but some of your relatives are still back in Israel, and somebody says to you, God says two years and you'll be home, and someone else says 70 years, so you might not get home. Wow. Now, could I tell you that Jeremiah proved to be the correct one? It was seven years. The two-year thing uh, was a false prophecy. Uh, For whatever reason, I'm guessing Hananiah and some others maybe were going to make some money on this somewhere. But whatever it was, they came up with something that wasn't good advice. Jeremiah goes on to say this. So this is what the Lord Almighty says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Allowing for the fact it could be 70 years. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry. Have children. Increase. Do not decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. If it prospers, you too will prosper. So what Jeremiah was saying to them that if, if you're prepared to accept what I think God is saying to us, that you're going to be there for a couple of generations, then here's sensible thinking. It's time you started to think about where you're going to live and how that's going to be and where you're going to grow your food and where your children are going to go to school and how you're going to work and how you're going to save up and how you're going to send money back to Jerusalem or whatever it is you want to do. But you also need to be working for the prosperity of the place where you are. Because if that place prospers and you get jobs and education and all those things, then you too will prosper in it. Very sound advice. And it goes on to finish like this. Then I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So there's your choices. Do you go with Hananiah, keep your head down and try to survive? Or do you go with Jeremiah and say, no, we're going to make this thing thrive. Until the Lord comes back for us. Because that's the the sort of prophetic version of what Jeremiah was talking about. Then the Lord will bring you back. That's part of the metaphor, okay? Is that the Lord one day will come back and set us all free from whatever exile we've been in. And the new heaven and the new earth will be upon us and around us. But the prophecy of people like Hananiah would tell you, all you've got to do is make sure you get through. You just get through in your time, that'll be fine. Or you can go with Jeremiah and say, no, we're here to do something that goes way beyond me, way beyond us. That is about the long term of what God is trying to do in his world. And that requires a different kind of mindset. So to make this maybe not a good example, but if you're if you just if you just get over the border from Ukraine into somewhere like Poland 
and you're living in some sort of sheltered accommodation of some sort and you're thinking it's okay it's okay we've only got to hold on because we're going back but if somebody tells you no you aren't going back this is for life then you have to start thinking about how are we going to make this thing work how are we going to thrive it grow it so we see this this is why I wanted my own laptop here, because where do you see this? Does anybody see anything else in that picture? What? There's a wee tiny question. Oh, do you see a wee tiny question mark that has appeared? Now, where do you see this? Oh. <laughs> I did this myself. Our present financial situation, our fluctuation at the minute, our, our downward trend, or not keeping up with what we'd like to do, the wee tiny question mark has grown. It's a big question mark now. We could cut a whole lot of things back. We could dig into our savings and we could get through. We could survive. Or do we want to do something that grows these children who are going into uh, post-primary education, that does something for teenagers in the future, that cares for all of us, as I say, all of us in our mid-years, or wherever you are, uh, and does something that is part of God's. And do you notice, I, it was one of the things I found uh, hard, oh, I've gone the wrong way, hard to cope with in all those Bible verses, is that... Um, then I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, says the Lord. Every one of them, uh, and this is, says to all those I carried into exile, that in their thinking, they seem quite contented and able to believe that the strain and stress of everything that's happened to them, somehow this all within God's plan for them. Yeah, it isn't that God has deserted them and left them, but that exile is somehow part of what God is trying to shape them through and do things with them. So I'm very happy and pleased to say that whatever the ups and downs of life in Beaver Parish are, that it's all within the plan of God. It's all within something that we need to be learning from or adjusting to or figuring out what we're going to do with it. So that's the big question mark that I want to leave you with today. Do we want to just get through? Or do we want to thrive? So I want you to go home uh, with a question in your head. What are the differences, and this isn't really anything to do with the money, but just something to ponder on, argue over in the car on the way home. What are the differences between a gathered congregation and a local one? What difference does that make to a church when people come to it from far and wide? And if a church or if church is going to thrive, what might have to change in my life? Okay. We're going to sing our prayer. So would you like to stand? And this is very well known. <laughs>